What do you get when you get a Canadian Gambian, a Kenyan, and a Gambian on a podcast? Well, we don't argue about Jalaf, that's for sure. Well, welcome to the Africans. We talk all for of Canadian and African football because we to the Africans if we can do both. Join your host to question with talks with Nelson Mo and brings plethora of guests and talks and national teams in Canada to feature the sport as well as African players, African teams, and all the fun around it. So you sit back and enjoy the show. talking you know it's about a week since but let's talk a little bit about the window that was for the men i know the women's window is coming up uh, this year but we're gonna just kind of put a final page a final just dotting of the i's crossing the t's our final thoughts on the window alejandro's here with us so recapping again you have qatar 2-0 a canada win and then a 2-0 loss to Uruguay. Um, there's there's lots that happened leading up to this uh, during the window itself, and we kind of just want to talk about it, bring in a few more eyes, just kind of see how we feel about it. But just to recap a few things, Tiba wasn't available. We knew that going in. Jonathan Osorio wasn't available either. Um, still dealing with the after effects of his uh, head trauma injury, and so he didn't make the trip. Uh, they didn't bring a. They didn't bring any replacements, so the story of the camp, interestingly, was who's going to play in midfield, and we kind of saw a few limitations within the team, and then a few things that are a bit encouraging as well. Um, also, speaking of midfielders, David Wotherspoon is almost back, but did have a setback in a friendly match over the break. So we're not sure about his availability, but we're hoping maybe if he's healthy, he may be an option coming through, but that'll be a bridge that we cross when we get there. But let's kind of start off with the overall window. Again, Alejandro is here with us. Alejandro, like, first of all, how are you doing? (laughs) All right. So let's just jump back to where we were. So overall, yeah, overall thoughts in terms of the window. There was a two win, two nil win, and a two nil loss. H- how do you feel overall after this window? Uh, I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed, you know. Especially the last game, you know. I was hoping we would do a little bit better than we actually mm-hmm. did, and I am a little worried as to how we're gonna cope with better defenses and how to break apart those. Uh, defensive and how we're gonna be able to uh handle you know playing against uh tougher tougher sides you know uh that might uh uh, that might provide more of a defensive block to our game and whatnot and how not if we're still certain players still gonna try to do too much or we're gonna take it more simple you know like uh not not Uh doing not not misplay a lot of passes or or you know, uh, taking too long to transition. So yeah, just some questions are were left there. Yeah. 
No, I agree with you. I think there's lots that we can take. There's also a degree where if you look at the game in a vacuum, I can definitely understand where you, and I know a lot of fans, they're not where you are at, but there's that, that general area where it's, there's a little bit of worry, right? I think the Uruguay game was important because it's the first time we've played a team that's not a CONCACAF team. And yes, I'm including Qatar in not a CONCACAF team because, to be honest, I didn't really rate Qatar that highly because we saw them at the Gold Cup. And mm-hmm. at the Gold Cup, they were their style of play left them vulnerable to the teams that we ultimately played in the in the in the ocho and and in that ocho like i mean they tied panama 3-3 panama we gave them 3 and then panama gave us 1 right mm-hmm. el salvador we we took both games from them right and they and they almost let that game slip so there, there's a degree where I looked at them, and again, I mean, if I'm looking at all the federations, I view the Asian federations the only federation that's not above CONCACAF. Mm-hmm. Right? Because to me, I rate the federations as UEFA, Comembol, CAF, CONCACAF, and then Asia, and then Oceanic. Now, mm-hmm. that's, that's my rating for it. So, seeing them, and we've seen Qatar, like Qatar or Qatar. We've seen them at the Gold Cup. We saw them at the Common Bowl um, competition. And they didn't perform well at Common Bowl. They performed better at the Gold Cup. So we know what their level was. Um, mm-hmm. Did we expect more? Perhaps. I still think somehow they make it through because there's only been one host nation that's not made it out of the group stages at the World Cup. So... There's, there's that possibility that's going to happen, but I think there's definitely some aspects there. But yeah, I, I definitely see the the cause for concern uh, with both mm-hmm. teams. But that that comes with playing better teams. There are some things you can't do anything about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at the Uruguay game, because you saw the Uruguay game, like a yeah. ball over Alistair Johnston, like you can't really deal with that unless Alistair is able to be spatially more aware. Can he be mm-hmm. that? Sure. But Johnston versus Nunez in a on a cross or a ball? Yeah, we're taking Darwin Nunez always. It's he he'll see it better than Johnston will. Mm-hmm. But I think there's definitely some things. Let's talk about this Uruguay game here because I think that's the one that everyone is a bit concerned about. Um yeah. What were your major concerns leaving the Uruguay game? Um, one of them is breaking breaking apart, you know, uh, well organized compact defenses, as we've shown uh, over the Uruguay game. We saw a lot of cross that crosses that that were attempted were were blocked or were easily, you know, uh, broken apart by the Uruguay team. Some of the shot, the few shots on goal. I don't know why they talk a lot about that we didn't convert our chances because the few ones that we had, I think, were mostly blocked rather than than uh, we had some clear cut chances. You know, like. Uh, but a lot of it, I felt it was was timing. I feel our players took a second too long to to attempt certain shots in that game. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't. They were not quick. You know, and just. Uh, uh, the fact of uh, some misplaying some passes, you know, taking uh, taking two, taking the extra pass or 
Uh-huh. Although I know some sometimes which was rather unnecessary instead of just you know just just uh just going at it just going at goal or you know or uh-huh. finding the open guys you know uh yeah some things need to be corrected yeah no definitely i i think if you look at the Uruguay game there's two things right a you can look at the stats of the game and say <laughs> hmm they definitely left a lot on the pitch but then you can, mm-hmm. if you watch the game like you said i feel on the pitch they they weren't bad. They were just not. They were just very sloppy, in my opinion. Like especially their passing. Yeah. Their passing was. Their passing. The idea was great. Their execution was poor, and that's why they were sloppy. Right. Mm-hmm. This wasn't like oh we're like there's again I'm not gonna get into USMNT talk, but I mean this isn't Aaron Long trying to send a pass to someone and it misses everyone. This is you send the pass and it goes to the wrong person or it's not it's not crisp and the person receiving it doesn't control it. And then you're getting countered like there's no tomorrow. Like Uruguay's strategy was simple. It's the strategy that I have with a lot of teams who have who are great at countering, which is you get ahead of them and you make the countering team have to break you down. You make them a possession team and see if they'll make the right pass. And I think Canada made good passes, but once it got to the final third, it was either one touch too many, like you said, or it was an idea where they were making the wrong pass or they weren't controlling those passes. And those fumbles against a quality team like this, you'll get punished. Like Darwin Nunez could have had three goals in the first half, Mm -hmm. truthfully, right? Yeah. He missed a couple of volleys and whatnot, and then he put away the one goal. But this game could have easily been 4-0. And that's just a testament to the quality of, of Uruguay. That's how good they are. That doesn't mean that Canada was that bad, but if you're giving chances away, quality teams will finish them. If you give them four, a quality team like Uruguay will finish two. This isn't... This isn't CONCACAF, right? I, I think I tweeted this so many times, but you're not in Kansas anymore. Like, you're not looking across the pitch and seeing Honduras, Guatemala. You're not seeing Nicaragua. You're not seeing El Salvador. You're not seeing, like, Jamaica. You're seeing legitimate teams with legitimate players. You may have some exceptional talents, but everyone on the other team are high-quality players. You have quality players, which, again, is not to disparage Canada, we're getting there, but we're not there now. So mm-hmm. I think the play is definitely the, the passing is something I think we all agreed upon. I want to ask you this Davies in this game. I saw a lot of comments on Davies. And and I think to me the answer is simple as to what happened, but I wanna I wanna hear what your thoughts on Davies was in the Uruguay matchup. Oh like how like you want to hear uh how I think he performed, you mean? Yes, yes. Okay. He had, you know, he was being his usual self, you know, usual Alfonso Davies, some good plays, good runs, always a try, especially during, in that left flank, even when dropping inside. But I feel at least towards the the second half and the last part of the game, I think he tried to do a little too much. He tried to single-handedly seem like carry the team, you know, and uh-huh. obviously would, would misplay a pass or... 
or whatnot or or sometimes when running into like traffic you know like uh, some some sort of double teams would give the ball away and there were even instances uh, somebody pointed out interesting that there was an instance where he made it to the final third he kind of wide open Tejon who made who came back by the way after some layoff you know and instead of passing it to a wide open Tejon which could have created maybe to a better scoring opportunity I think he tried to single-handedly take ticket himself you know go and ultimately that led to losing possession and yeah just his decision making was quite off towards the end of the match i feel yeah no definitely i think by the end of the game he definitely hit a point you can tell where it was just like i'm going to do this myself and you mentioned tejan and i think that's the thing i think this team needs tejan on the pitch right I did a uh, video. I did a video like stock up, stock down afterwards. And Tejan played 15 minutes, but he showed why he's important. Because, like, I'm always going to go back to this game, the Canada versus at uh, Mexico game at the Azteca, the one-one draw. That game to me is why you need Tejan. They had like two chances in that game where it was just Tejan beat a player out wide, he squared the ball. And Davies gets at the end of it, but gets pushed away at the last minute. You need what makes Davies effective is his pace. And not to say that he isn't fast on the ball, but you're always faster when you're not on the ball. Right? There are a few players who are as quick as they are on the ball as they are off the ball. And with Davies trying to take on multiple people, I think if you can have someone else who is able to create. I think that's what they were missing also when it came to playing against a Uruguay. Everything was funneled through Davies, which isn't a problem, but it's very telegraphed. So because that's very telegraphed, it's like, yeah, you're playing that 4-3-1-2, essentially. You're putting Davies in the middle as your de facto cam. You're saying you go create something, and he's done it in the past. But now you need someone else to be able to create. And even when Tejon's 15 minutes, he was able to create there. I think Davies will always be Davies. Um, there's a degree where when he's finally up on the pitch, he feels like he can finally, uh, we'll, we'll call it, express himself on the ball. You know, he'll try to make runs. He'll cut inside. He'll do things. That's always Davies. He's always going to have that. People call it the hero ball effect of him. He will always be that player because he wants to be inside. He wants to create. He has the ability to do it. But in that same breath, you need someone else that has to at least make the defense think. You have to make them hesitate a bit. And when you don't have that on the pitch, all respect to Sam Adekubi, all respect to Richie Larea, those players at this level, again, against Uruguay, that's one game hasn't shown we haven't seen that their ability to try to create out wide now Larea was getting passes that weren't really good <laughs> let's be real um so he couldn't yeah. get on the end of them and create anything i think there's a degree where players like tejon and davies they can make any pass look good because even if it's off they have the pace to reach it so there's never a quote-unquote bad pass but you need a tejon here and I think Davies will always be Davies, right? And you'll get with your other players. But I think 
having Tejan on the pitch opens up the possibilities for what a defense has to worry about. Because if Tejan can beat a player out wide on the wing, not only do you have Kyle Laren running in, not only do you have Jonathan David coming in, you also have a Davies. That even if you happen to miss that, that pace is going to catch that. And he'll get it. Mm-hmm. And you have to back off and show that respect. So I think, again, like I said in the vid before, a Tejan is solves a lot of that. It doesn't solve everything. I still think at the end of the day, this team still needs a creative midfielder. And maybe that's Kone. Maybe that's someone else. But for this team and this version of this team, you need Tejan on the pitch. Because without Tejan on the pitch, it really does limit what you can do because everything's going through Davies, especially based off the players that Herdman will play. And I think we can kind of touch on this a little bit. I, I think Tejan's thing, in terms of like the rotation and players used, I know you watched like, the Uruguay match. What did you feel about the players that were used in that game? What did I? Okay. Um... I think I think some I think some were uh, some were okay the right selection but a couple of them did were had disappointing outing. You mentioned Richie Lai, yeah, he he was pretty disappointing on the night on that game as well as Kyle Laring was a big disappointment as well. He was not the usual Laring that we've seen in qualifiers scoring goals, you know, being that like the goal scorer that he's become for the national team. And all that he was he was disappointing he was totally off in this one so so a degree when it comes to Laren where when Laren is on he's on and when he's off he's off like I think against Uruguay like his he was one touch to make there's a there's a glaring chance where Davies squares him the ball and Laren just gives it one touch too many. If he goes direct there, maybe he gets the ball better on frame and maybe that gives him an opportunity to get a goal. And at that point, I think it was still, no, yeah, it was about 2-0. And that at that point, if it's 2-1, maybe you get some legs, maybe you can put Uruguay a little bit more on their heels and make them have to play a game that they don't want to play. But yeah, you're going to have that with Laren. And the question is, and I think that's where it's going to come with the third friendly against Japan can he perform at this level right we haven't seen Canada play a non-CONCACAF team up until this window Mm -hmm. right and we know Kyle even in CONCACAF games he can create but then sometimes he'll drift out that that's a that is a a parcel and parcel of who he is as a player he can drift into games. He can drift out. When he's on, it's looking like him versus Jamaica and and BMO, right? He's making runs. He's finding things. And when he's off, you barely notice he's on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And so I think when it gets to playing a team, especially when we get to the Japan game, I think the Japan game, and we'll, like just briefly on it here, I think that game intrigues me because how Japan presses – it's it's going to have to speed up Canada and we're gonna see if they've able to if they've been able to ramp up to that level. Because we saw the US struggle against it to a degree. But 
I wonder if a team like J- Japan right before the World Cup is probably the best team for them to play because it's a team that will force them to speed up. It's like they're okay, no, no, we're we're not running. It's it's a sprinter mentality, right? You're not running a, a sixteen hundred. You're running a, an eight hundred, right? And that that's a different pace. Or you're not running the eight hundred meter. You're running a two hundred meter. Right, that mm-hmm. that those are two different paces and how you're running, and so that when you're gearing up to eventually run that 100, now it's like okay, you're maintaining. Yes, you have to get out quicker and whatnot, which I think why the 200 is the best one, like the four versus the two or an eight versus the two. Now you're ramping up in a team that will press you and get you going. I think that's why I think the Japan matchup is great. But yeah, like you said with Lai, like I think for him. And with the team, there's definitely things in terms of just having to speed up and be a lot crisper. And we'll find out in 49 days uh, as the World Cup starts at that time frame. I want to ask you about the center backs, right? If we take anything from this window, it's that the center backs are Miller, Vittoria, and Johnston. And if they're not starting, he's gonna Herman will be playing Miller, Victoria, and Johnston. Right? How how comfortable are you with that trio? And as an overall question, how did you feel about the usage? Did you do you think they should have played the whole window? Do you feel like maybe some more players should have been rotated? Talk to me about the center backs here. Center backs looked okay. You know, obviously one of them was responsible for the first goal by giving out, giving up that foul on a very dangerous goal scoring position, which ultimately we saw the bury. You know, Uruguay was a nice goal. It was quite a goal lasso, gotta admit. You know, that was that was a well taking uh-huh. free kick. But at the same time, I think Milan was part was partly responsible. Could have done a little better to prevent that in the first goal, but. Yeah, I mean Johnston. You know, he, he's probably uh, the our go-to outside right center back we have. I don't think there's anyone like him, and plus his crossing ability is great. And Victoria was okay. There was an instance in the Uruguay game where they nearly made it three nail. Where Uruguay put some good play, some uh, uh-huh. good, some good giving goals in there in the in the around our penalty box that. Victoria prevented. I don't know. I don't know if you remember. You don't. You remember specifically that play I'm talking about. But he was. He was astute and uh, and read mm-hmm. well that play and prevented a, a, a ball from being crossed or passed into an opening guy to make it three zero. So yeah, and we know what Victoria offers. That stability in the middle of a back three. His long passing range is amazing and. Obviously, he's always up there in, in dead ball situation, although we didn't see much of that in the Uruguay game. But, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, the, that trio is all right. I do like Victoria and Johnston, but I think we should rotate among Kamal Miller and the other center backs that were on there. I know you're high on Cornelius. You want to see more of him. And in Waterman would have been a good one to uh-huh. see what he brings as well, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a thing with I me. Mean, look at the players. I I know a lot of people. There's a lot of sentiment where people are asking why didn't they play Waterman or play some of the other center backs. I think 
again, if you're going to glean anything from this roster, yeah, the lineup is what it is. The only difference would be just there's two questions that are left off the grab with this roster. The first one is who starts in midfield and then who starts on the right if they play anything other than the 3-5-2. If they go with a 4-4-2, the question is who's starting with Eustachio and at this point, realistically, it's probably going to be Atiba if he's healthy. If he's not healthy, he's probably going with Piet, which is fine. He can put in a shift, but it's a different it's a different animal altogether. So you're going to need players to be able to step up to that level. The center back question worries me. And it doesn't worry me in a classic sense where it's like this is a weakness. Waterman didn't play to me just to get this out of the way. I think Waterman was just a, a Daniil Henry replacement. If Daniil isn't hurt, I think Waterman... If Daniil isn't hurt, Daniil's in this camp, in my opinion. Yeah. But, so Waterman... Point. As much as I'd love to have him play, when I saw him in, like my thought that I, in the back of my head was, he's probably just here because Daniil's not healthy, and that's fine. But will he actually play? I think I, I went back and forth with Josh on JDTV on Twitter for a little bit. I was like, who do we start for the Qatar game? I was just like, start all the kids from Montreal, start Liam Miller, put Theo out there, and just put Kyle out, and then see what that does rotate in, bring people in at the 60th minute, and then see how it goes. But, you know, as rightfully he said, this is prepping for the World Cup. At this World Cup, the question is going to be like, we aren't just playing teams who don't know. They know what it is. And if you're going to play, if you're going to play a player like Alistair Johnson as a center back, they are going to just isolate that and say, okay, aerially, we should be able to take advantage of that. So how do we catch that back three in a position where we isolate Alistair Johnson one-on-one and take our chances there? So I think especially the Darwin Nunez goal, to be honest, I expect to see a lot of that. Whether trying to get the ball behind Kamal Miller, having to draw out Steven Vittoria, and then leaving Alistair Johnston isolated with an incoming striker, an incoming winger, another player that makes Johnston have to defend in isolation. Now he's done it in CONCACAF, but I feel at this level, that's going to be a strategy that's going to move and say, let's see what we can do with that. And I think that's going to be something Herman has to answer. How do you protect for that? I think having a Tej on there who tracks back can work. We've also seen how that doesn't work. Uh, That's the first game against Honduras where he tracks back and gives up the penalty. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that this player is the same player as they are, but it's definitely something when you saw it, I saw it like enough times for me to think, if I'm a team, yeah, I'm getting the ball deep out wide. I'm get trying to catch Kamal Miller, maybe backdoor. I'm forcing Victoria to come out more from centrally because he's, Victoria's there to deal with Ariel aerial presence right he's there to deter that so if you can get him away and then force your last center back slash right back to have to defend i think if you're on the counter that's what you're trying to do so that's that's the book is out there right and the question is going to be how well does canada adjust to that and yeah we're gonna have to figure that out i don't think the like 
the Miller foul he gave up, it's it's a tough call. Because on replay, he gets all ball, but the ref calls it. So, I mean, what are you supposed to do in that situation? Yeah, because in it, he gets the ball, then he he goes through the body. So, because of that, it's tough. That's why he's, he's disputing the call right off the bat, and I get it. But I think for that, Miller isn't a weak link for me. I do wonder, again, rotation-wise, who are the players he has to rely on. Because odds are, if you look at rotation-wise, it's probably a combination of Kennedy. Yeah, and or Kennedy. If, if Henry is healthy, he's going to go to Henry. He's going to go to one of those two players if for center-back rotations. That's what he's gone to. He's seldom gone to Derek Cornelius. But D- Derek Cornelius, I think... Based off his usage, that should tell us where in the depth chart he is, right? And, and it's unfortunate, but that, that's just the reality, right? The last window, you had Cornelius play. Cornelius didn't play the last window. So I think that's kind of where Herman rates Cornelius. And it's probably your top three, which are, yeah. Yeah, because now, now we're going over old things. Because even in... Because that last window, that's where he played Atiba as a center back. And it was just like, what are we doing? <laughs> why why are we playing Atiba as a center back? Uh, yeah, so I think your your top five in terms of players as center backs you're playing are Miller, Victoria, Johnston, Cornelius, and Henry. Probably Henry over Cornelius based off of what it sounds like in my mind. Mm-hmm. But on paper it should be Kennedy over it should be Kennedy over Henry. It should be Cornelius over Henry, to be honest. But that's yeah. kind of how it goes. In terms of the midfield, who do you feel like again after the Uruguay game, who do you feel is the best pair? pairing partner for Eustachio if you're going to go with like a 4-4-2 or even a 3-4-3. Three, three. Okay. Well, as we discussed earlier, uh, obviously the go-to guy if he's ready to go would be the ageless Gattiva or Attiva, you know, like Hutchinson, you know. Uh, yeah. But if he's unavailable, my liking and my preference would be Kone over Piet. I, I will like, or I don't know, uh, I don't know what you would think of a pairing of Ustakio and Kone, but uh, I, I do. Mm-hmm. I would, I, I would like uh, Kone. Uh, I would like Kone in that midfield. Okay, I I don't. I know there's a lot of people who are excited for Kone, and I think rightfully so. He's shown some things which are good. I do wonder who is the best option for the pairing. And how are you going to deploy? If you're going to trust Ustakio to be essentially that six, who can come up and be that eight in that midfield, are you better off pairing him with another defensive player like a Sam Piet? Or assuming this player is healthy? Like, I agree with you. I think Atiba is the play if he is healthy. Because, I mean, it's the only, it's the, it's the feel-good heartfelt. He gets the start at the World Cup. It's there. But in terms of actual tactics on the pitch, I do wonder. And I really do wonder if in the midfield, who was your better option? 
because you can you can go a lot of places here, including even putting a junior Hoylet there and letting him kind of roam in the middle if need be, even though he would be ideal in like a left midfield role or yeah or no a right midfield role, not a left midfield role, but I think there's a scenario where if you're going four four two in the midfield you go and assuming everyone's healthy you go Tejan, Bustakio, Huelets and Davies with Laren and David up top. And if you go 3-4-3, you probably can do that or I think even depending on how healthy he is and based off how he's recovering, that's something to watch as well. A uh, Jonathan Osorio as that midfield okay. pairing. I, I know I know it could go either way there. Again, my, my reference point is always going to be that Mexico game. That's probably the best team they had played. Nothing against the U.S., but the best team that they had played that they went back and forth with in Azteca. Against the U.S., they just sat back and just stayed very compact. But that Mexico game at Azteca, they went back and forth. And again, Osorio gets the goal there, but I think that's probably, if you're putting him there, you're just telling everyone, yeah, we're going for this. We're going to play, we're going to play with you. Like, we're, we're not going to sit back here. We're, we're here to play. So I think Osorio might be the play, um, which kind of just leads to the question that's like, I think the, the big red flag within this camp for me because I know the Qatar game was fine I mean 2-0 players got some run weren't clinical on their chances but the overall question of the midfield that is a concern to me because as of now your midfield options are Piet, Kone, Ustakio, and Mark Anthony K and I think it's very telling that against Uruguay Kone got the watch it's not to me it's 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 interesting, and it's a talking point that Kone gets the nod over a Mark Anthony K. However, if you look at how Kone has been deployed, Herdman's been playing Kone a lot against teams that are sitting back because he has more time. He can try to be creative. He can try to break the lines and push forward that way. So, I think it was a matchup specific thing. It's still significant. But I, I see it more from a matchup standpoint versus a depth chart standpoint. Maybe it is. Maybe when we get to the World Cup, Kone's the first midfielder off the off the bench, not named Osorio, assuming he's healthy. But yeah, mm-hmm. when we look at Kone, he played Costa Rica off the bench. He started against Panama. He expected them to sit back a little bit. And then he played he started against uh, Honduras, correct? In the uh, in the puddle game, who did who started against Honduras? Uh, oh, sorry, Kone, Kone. Oh, oh, okay. I don't remember that, but I'm gonna. I'm actually looking it up right now. I'm looking it up right now. But yeah, I think Kone is matchup specific there. And you know, maybe he's able to get through, but I think from a positional there, that's 
those are the players. If you are, how do you feel about the? How do you feel about the team? No, he didn't start against. Uh, yeah, he did not start against Honduras. He started against Panama because that was the. Yes, this was the. They started. They started Ugbo in that game, and you know, one day he'll play a game where the where he has a good pitch, but yes. How did Raheem Edwards get a red? Well, apparently he got a red. But yeah, um, how do you feel about the midfield overall? Mm, bit little shorthanded to to be honest. At least uh-huh. in this window, it was and and that certainly troll against uh, Uruguay. You know that uh, um, uh, better uh, more a better uh, more better fitted partner was missing for, I guess, Ustakio, you know. Again, Ustakio was okay, you know, it was not like he had a bad game, but it was not his strongest game, in my opinion, either. But, mm. yeah, I mean, it's a little bit tricky right now, you know, because uh, with some of our midfielders are, you know, with uh, are questionable, you know, uh, with uh, some injury concerns, and mm-hmm. we don't, there does not seem to be much Inform midfielders they're available that com that can complement you know what you say of Stadio then sixth and eighth sort of role that he tends to play with some ten tendencies uh-huh. you know and only only option is having Piet which is a, 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 a strictly defensive midfielder role you know to kind of pair him up and there's Konip but you mentioned about maybe that might be more a tactic specific game specific thing and. Obviously, there's Mark Anthony K, but his form is a bit little questionable as well because I don't, don't know if he's been playing much lately. But I think he had some knocks as well, and yeah, yeah he it just has, gets yeah. a little complicated. But Waterspoon also will, will could have been an option, but he's just coming back from injury. You mentioned that we don't know how how his form will be because he was gonna join up in a friendly or something with his club team, and yeah, yeah, yeah. some some he had, holes a, he had a bit of sure. a setback. I said that earlier, yeah. If mm-hmm. you're and I will put you on the spot here, if if you can bring four midfielders, actually we'll go with five to make it a little bit more spacious. If you're bringing five midfielders to uh, Cotter, who are your five that you're bringing? Okay, uh, okay. Well, certainly the the uh, uh, it'll be Ustakio for sure. I will I will go with Kone, and uh, okay. can I? Am, am I okay to add Osorio? We're assuming everyone is healthy. Oh, okay. We're yeah, assuming sure, everyone then. is healthy. Okay, yeah. So then we just put got a team, especially, you know, for reasons besides, you know, the fact that he's a part of the midfield, you know. You know, obviously he has to come, Osorio. And number five, that one is... That one's a little bit up in the air, but if Waterspoon is fully recovered and good to go, I guess I think I'll take him over Piet. Yeah. So you'll go Watherspoon, Osorio, Atiba, Kone, and Nustakio. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, leaving it at five makes it like you have to cut two players. But no, that's I think Kone's emergence, he's not on the plane to Cotter, but he is definitely he's comfortable enough to start packing, I think. Mm-hmm. Right, I think Kone is definitely gonna go just based off of how he's been deployed. But then, so yeah, I agree with you, Ustakio for sure. 
I yeah. think Atiba goes regardless. And that's going to be controversial, especially if he's not fit. Because you're asking, you're taking a spot, but you want him to be there because on the off chance for him to be able to play at the World Cup, mm-hmm. he's going. Those three are going, I think. Well, again, guaranteed Ustakio, sentimental packing Atiba, and then Kone, yeah, I mean, you're not getting your visa, but you can start packing. You can start looking at what to wear in uh, December in the in that area. Mm-hmm. If it's five, I think Piet comes. Okay. Piet comes because you need a six. You don't have any other sixes. Unless you're going to play Ustakio as that six always, which, I mean, he kind of has. But I think Piet comes because you need that next six. You're not going to play any of your center backs as a six. You haven't done it. And the other issue is because you're playing him as a six because, and this is where it gets tough, because Atiba would be technically that six type player, even though he can be more of an eight at this point at his max capacity. But you do those four players, and then it comes down to Wotherspoon, Osorio, or K. Mm-hmm. Based off of being on the pitch, K is the answer because he's recently more played. Osorio comes down to, again, we're assuming this is five. Osorio comes down to who you're able to, if he's able to recover. And we're assuming he's healthy. Osorio is is your 10. He's your closest thing to a 10 that's not Junior Hoylet. Wolverspoon can be that. And I think I want to see more from Spoon. And then Mark Anthony Cage was a solid up and down eight. Hoylet's going to be there. So do I need another creative? I think to me it comes down to because they'll be playing. Man, I think if Wotherspoon looks decent, he's probably coming. But if he if his rehab isn't there, again, I know in this situation we're assuming everyone is healthy. I'd probably go with. I'd probably go with Osorio. Okay. I think, I think there's a degree if you play an Osorio there, it's it's essentially, there's there's a three four three slash four two three one lineup where you're basically telling the other team, yeah, forget back, forget sitting in a low block. I mean, we can, but we're also going to attack you because we don't mind. Because we think we can play with you. And maybe that's who you do. Maybe you do that against a, a Belgium just for the sake of it, just to prove a point. Maybe you definitely do that against Morocco. But I think Osorio would be that midfielder for me. Mm-hmm. So my five would be my five would be Ustakio, Atiba, Piet, Kone, and Osorio. Mm-hmm. I'm on the same as myself. So yeah, pretty much on point there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not mm. bad. You know, since we're yeah. going through teams, I mean, are you change uh, center backs? I'm assuming you would bring Waterman and not Henry if you're going six center backs. Uh, um, I mean, I mean, one center back for sure that I would bring, and sometimes I will start him over Kamal Miller. It would be Kennedy for sure. Yeah. Okay. 
That's yeah. fine. I disagree with you there, but you know that's cool. We're we're not here to we're not gonna fight. But I mean, I just I find that Kamal. I know Kamal has his. The thing with a Kamal is that I find Kamal is one of those players who's willing to be involved in the attack, and adding an extra run is both great as it puts pressure on the defense. But also, if your passing is as good as it was, or not as good as it was, mm-hmm. against Uruguay, you're putting your back three in a back two situation, which is basically now a back one, because Vittoria can only retreat. Vittoria is not the fly-footed player he used to be. And no. then, if you're passing that, now you're down with Alistair Johnson trying to defend and Milan Borjan. So, that's tough. Like yeah, a bit risky, finding the yeah. balance in that will be important. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you. But yeah, yeah. I think the Ginchi- mm-hmm. I think if Montreal has a deep run, I think it only helps Waterman. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, if it's between Waterman and Henry, I think Herdman still picks Henry. Agree. So yeah, yeah, that's my gut feeling too. I think not mm-hmm. just me and you, but many fans, fellow fans that follow the national team closely, mm-hmm. many probably would feel the yes. same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Will you still bring Scott Strikers. Kennedy? I if I still bring who? Kennedy. Scott Kennedy. Yeah, I think bring Scott. I think Kennedy come. I think the center backs are there. The only real question is. I think Cornelius comes. I think Kennedy comes. Okay. Because everyone is playing except for Miller and Johnston. And that's going to be the interesting thing, how quickly they're able to ramp up. It'll really come down to how they look against, uh, what's it called? Against uh, Japan in that pre-World Cup friendly. Oh, for sure. And then the only question is, is it's going to be Waterman or Henry. And I think you'll Mm -hmm. see them in the game. I think it'll be the worst but I think Waterman or Henry will be the question, and yeah. we'll see how that goes. Oh, for sure. going to be interesting to follow that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, hmm. So, you know what? We haven't talked much about the Qatar game. To me, again, they started off great. and then You, you didn't watch that game. Um, you no, couldn't no. catch it. You saw the highlights. Again, they were just, they left a lot on the field. They started yeah. off great. I mean, 2 0 in the first 20 minutes. That's ideal. But then they were still getting, like, you saw the preview of what was coming versus Uruguay, which was getting caught on the counter and then odd numbers coming back against you and trying to be able to defend that. But there was not as much tooth. The attack was missing some teeth. For uh, Qatar or Qatar, but against Uruguay, you saw what a team that has finishers what that could do. So, I think there are lessons for that. I mean, I find it interesting. I'm not against Charles Andres Brim, but Charles Andres Brim unfortunately has the will have the moniker until he becomes something or he disappears as a player that people will look at and say you stopped us from having a Stefan Mitrovic. And then I'll be like, well, it's not his fault, but okay, let's let's continue <laughs> to blame him. So, I mean, for him, it looks like him. I think the interesting conversation will be with the wingers leading up to it. 
Because you know Davies will be there. You know Tejan will be there. Is he just going to go with Miller and Corbianu and Hoylet? Because if those are your wingers, it becomes interesting because Miller is just a winger. He's not going to be a wingback. Theo yeah. has played some wingback. I know we, we all feel a certain way about it, or some of us do. Some of us were like, well, this is great practice. Others were like, he's a winger slash striker. Stop it. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have that. And then old, reliable Junior Hoylet. Right? If those are the wingers you're bringing in, probably Brim doesn't make it into this camp. This is maybe his last chance to see. We don't know how training went. But we'll take a look at that. I think between if a winger is able to emerge and play well, and then if you're bringing three or four strikers, if you're bringing four strikers, it's a very simple conversation. But if you're bringing three strikers, who who do you play? Who do you bring? Because it comes down to a question of Ugbo versus Cavallini. And similar mm-hmm. to, to BSG on the women's side, there's a recency bias of you're picking up, you're hot-tempered and you're picking up uh, cards. And can we trust that? Okay. So I, I think there's a there's a conversation that can be had depending on how the roster breaks down. It is twenty six. So it's not the worst. I'm actually see this lineup here. It's a three, four, one, two, yeah. Okay, da 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 eleven. Yeah, they had twenty six here. So the only question would be because, like, yeah, you don't, you didn't have Osorio. Koliosho was is more than likely not going to be there, even if you bring him just to be on the bench. Your, because your wingers here were Tejan, Brim, Miller, Liam. That is Corbianu. Yeah, and Corbianu, and Hoylet. Hoylet is a hybrid of things. Hoylet is a break glass in case of emergency striker, winger midfielder he can play them all so for him having that flexibility definitely helps and you can kind of move up and down the pitch i think also curiously what i mean are they going to bring another left back shouldn't they i know raheem edwards like had a cup of tea in june but Man, that, yeah, that's a question. Are they going to bring another left back? And who are you bringing? Because the only left back they brought was Sam Adekudbe. And then outside of that, on the right side, you have Larea Arlai as well as Johnston. Alistair Johnston. So you have three fullbacks, technically. I know technically they listed on the, on the sheet, and we talked about this, they listed Davies as a fullback or as a defender. Yep. But he's not playing defense, unless you're going to, in which case that becomes interesting because then then that opens the pitch for, okay, you put Davies as your left back, but then you put either a Miller, a Liam Miller, or a Corbianu as your left midfielder if you're playing a 4-4-2, or 
or he's your left winger if you're playing uh, a 3-4-3. So that's low-key, I think, the question. Outside of midfield, are they just going to ride with three fullbacks? Because I don't consider Davies a fullback. I consider yeah. him a winger in this system. What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Should they bring another fullback? Who is the fullback they should bring? Or are you good with them and John you trust and you're just going to roll with it that way? Mm, that's a tricky proposition because the question is, if we bring another fullback, say another, another left back, since we technically already have two, you know, on right, we just mentioned Johnston and Richie Lai, who would be that extra left back? I can't really think. The only guy that comes to mind could be Raheem, you know, who got his cup of tea, as you mentioned, back in June and has looked quite solid this MLS season. But then there's nobody else because, I mean, there was the option of Gutierrez, but his form has dropped significantly with the Whitecaps. And I feel he's mostly been playing with the Whitecaps reserve as of late. So obviously we're, we're not going to call somebody who is uh, at that, uh, that form level. So, yeah, I don't know. Who, no, I think that's... Who comes to mind, yeah. I, I, it would have to be Raheem Edwards. Yeah, exactly. But again, but then again, in terms of massaging, if you're bringing Edwards, who are you not bringing? Are you sacrificing uh, a center back? And if you're doing that, then it's probably Cornelius who's dropping. Mm-hmm. That right? is true. Somebody will need to be dropped, not for sure, yeah. And obviously begs the question... Is it worth it? Is it is it smart? You know, a whole lot of questions come up. And and that's the question. I think based off how the roster is built, it's it's going to be a three at the back almost exclusively. And the question mm-hmm. is going to be, are you going to go three in the midfield or two in the midfield? And I think that's where it's going to be. I think if they have a full... I think the move is if you have your full healthy roster... Kolyosho is probably not coming. So if you take him, then the questions come down to if there's no Kolyosho, your question marks are 15, 26, and then some combination of Miller and Corbiano if you want to get really tight on it. And then you can throw in your strikers as well and say, are we going to go with four? Are we going to go with three? You can make the argument that you can go for three, because you can have Hoylet as your break glass in case of emergency. Right? And if you yeah. do that, then then it becomes a question of, is it Cavallini or is it Ugbo? Mm-hmm. And that's that's where the conversation can happen. Because outside of that, then it's like, then it's Brim, Miller, Corbianu. Two of the three are coming. Koleosho more than likely isn't there. And then if you look at your fullback, your center backs... You you look at the back end, you say Cornelius, Waterman, Daniil. You can either go two of the three, or you can go one out of the three, and then add in a fullback. Mm-hmm. Because of those names that you've replaced, remember, we still have to bring probably Atiba and an Osorio. So two of those spots are gone to the midfield. And then depending on who you want to run with, if you want to bring yeah. in a, a pick and choose rotate there's a lot of questions that kind of go into this and i think man it'll be very interesting to try to dive into that but man final thoughts on this because again we're gonna kind of wrap up this window here 
you have the Japan. Actually, let's assume everyone is healthy. Let's end here. Assuming everyone is healthy, you're playing Japan right before the World Cup. Who's your starting eleven? Starting eleven, okay. Uh, okay, starting eleven would be okay. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Maybe this time I'm gonna. Um, you might be a bit, uh, especially after the free kick that was coming up against Uruguay. I might change the goalkeeper, you know, uh, and go with either Krep. But I, I, it, uh, in the friendly, at least it could happen. But I doubt it's gonna happen come the World Cup. Uh, I probably would go with either Crepo or or Sinclair. And I think I just heard that today Crepo won the supporter chill, I believe, with his club, if I'm not mistaken. That's so. correct. They won. They beat Portland. And so they won the supporter shield. Oh, so, yeah. congrats to him. Okay. So um, I will go with Kim or Sinclair, you know, for, for the friendly I'm talking about. Because I doubt that's going to be the case in come the World Cup, you know. Uh for goalkeeping let's go with a back three you know back three of uh johnston outside outside right center back victoria in the middle then let's go with their guy kamal miller then uh for the wing backs let's go with lai and adekubi the two midfielders you're saying assuming everybody's healthy right assuming everyone is healthy and available okay yeah okay well well, let's go with Ustakio and Atiba, you know, this time, you know, uh, in, in that holding midfield pair. Uh, three, that makes it four. Three, four. Uh, okay, one, one, two, three, and up uh, and up up top, obviously, there Davis on one side, Tejan on the other side. We talk about the importance of having Tejan and Davis together on the pitch, of how much that can uh, um benefit the uh, the play of the team you know having the two of them on each side and as your lone kind of in a middle strike or roll uh, uh laring or david one more i think yeah okay now i'm gonna go for me i'm gonna go a four two three one uh but similar players and the reason okay. why i want to go with a four two three one is because I want to push and go for this. Uh, that's how I feel. I want to just go for this. Okay. Uh, interesting. So back, we're going to go, I'll go with Borjan and Nets because I think that's important. And then back four is going to be Adekudbi, Miller, Victoria, and Johnston. So we're going to put okay. those back there. Uh, my two holdings will be Eustachio and Atiba. The attacking uh, three in the midfield, so my winger, my cam, and my uh, right, my wingers are going to be from left to right, Alfonso, Jonathan David, Mm -hmm. Jonathan David, and Tejan Buchanan. Okay. And then up top, I'll have Kyle Lahren. Yeah, that works too, yeah. Very offensive-minded squad. Yeah. yeah, that can easily shift and morph into a little bit of a 3-4-3 three, three if need be, where you can either push uh, David out to the right or one side or the other, or you keep it as the 4-2-3-1. You have David, who typically does drop more than the other. He is usually the second striker, so in that 10 role, 
he can still effectively do that. Plus, he can combine with Davies and Tejon, and then with Laren occupying center backs on his runs, you can have a late arriving David who can put some things in, or have either Davies or Buchanan cut inside, get some shots on frame, and try to create from there. So I think that's what I would start with. And again, defensively, that can easily morph into a back three. And then okay. you can push either Adekubi up as a wing back, and then you can either push down... Um, yeah, you can put down a player like Tejon as a wing back, which I see. Again, that could be problematic. Some people still have the penalty in their minds. I think Tejon definitely could do it. And then up top, you can have a combination of Davies, uh, David, and Laren. Mm-hmm. So with, with David up there, you can either put him as a striker or put him out wide. He has done a little bit of that at the club level. Doesn't mean that we want him to, but it, at least he's shown the capacity to do so. So I think that would be what I would set up against Japan, just because you can give yourself a little bit more options uh, just to move the ball around. Um, Japan is going to be a team that presses you, and I think that's the thing I want to see. I want to see if Japan can force Canada to speed up their decision-making. I think against Uruguay, they they were a little bit behind in it, and they were punished with their lack of passing also, they couldn't really move the defense around, right? If you got, if you had that good pass, you the moment to make the pass, the hesitation allowed Uruguay to regain their form and their shape and move from there. So I think that's important. And that's how I would start it against Japan leading into the World Cup. Once we get to a little closer to it, we will definitely react to the roster that is selected, who missed out, who do we hope makes it in. All these questions will come from there. Uh, on this channel, we got plenty of African content coming. We have plenty of uh, Woso coming. Uh, the women's have their friendlies against Morocco. That's, that is the Canadian women's team against Morocco and Argentina. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. And Alejandro, guys, you'll find his information in the description as well. So don't hesitate to look him up. Give him a follow for all his good spicy takes. Football picante all the fun times but guys thank you for spending a little time with us truly do appreciate it this has been a question from the africans that has been alejandro i hope you guys enjoy your days have a great weekend until next time bye for now